king of our soul. He's the one that's in charge, and we don't have to worry about all the rest of it. Amen? Amen. God is so good. Well, if you would turn and greet some of the folks around you, uh, and you can be seated. You know, as we were, we were singing those songs, and, and don't you appreciate Shelby and Gabe? Amen, amen. Um, King of heaven, every eye will see you. That's really what this is all about. The eyes, all of our eyes, everyone's eyes need to be on God. And yet there is a battle every day for our attention, our focus, for our allegiance, for our faithfulness. And uh, it's, it's, it's getting more intense. Anybody else out there realize that? Yeah, I'm sure I don't have to ask that. But that's where um, if we get distracted, if we get pulled off track and uh, begin to look at all the things going on around us, we're going to miss the greatest one that's with us, that's there to bring us through. And, you know, that's, that's, it's very evident today that uh, our focus has shifted um, do you know what the most photographed subject is? Right, self. Yeah, we even came up with new words for it, selfies. And, and you know, God, God's eye is on every person. There's not one that he's not aware of, that completely what's going on in their lives. And yet we become so focused on ourself that we forget that God's there. And it's easy to try and get into works and, and our own effort relying on us instead of trusting in God. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with your whole heart. Lean not to your own understanding and always acknowledge him or look to him and he'll direct your steps. And the steps that God is going to direct us in not necessarily will be the easiest, but they always will be the best. And, and that's where we've got to really fight to keep our focus on God because when we have our focus on God we'll, we'll continue to have that hope uh, and yet so many times we, we drop our, our sights to what our circumstances are or to ourselves and all of a sudden we feel overwhelmed and, and that's not what God has for any of us. God doesn't have for you to be overwhelmed. He has for you to be overcomers and uh, we're, we've been learning about how important it is uh, to overcoming and to having the victory uh, in, in being united, uh, to allow God to really have his way and connect us with him and connect us with one another so that not only will we experience the victory that God has and the kingdom that he has for us, but the world will know who Jesus is. And this morning we're continuing on and and uh, we're going to take a little bit of a, uh, a turn uh, from just looking at unity because um, what's the opposite of unity? And does anybody remember what the Bible says about division? A house, a kingdom, uh, a city, a church divided will what? 
not stand, fall, be, bring, be brought to desolation. And uh, none of us want that except the enemy. And he's working overtime to get us into that place of, of being, being stolen from, uh, being robbed of the very things that God has. And yet we have a choice, and it's really our choice. What, how are we going to operate? How are we going to walk? How are we going to live in this, this world that is so self-focused? I, I remember just thinking about this. How do I live selflessly in a selfie world? And that's what God has, because the moment I can put myself aside and focus on God and focus on others, my life is going to be so much better. And, and yet it's a struggle to do that, because so many things come to us that we want to focus on us. And we feel the need to, you know, in the world before uh, we know the Lord, uh, who do we depend on to take care of us? Us. Right? We're, we're the last link in the chain. We've got to take care of us. But coming to Christ, we know that we can turn all that care over to him because he cares for us. And so today we're going to continue on speaking about unity, but we're going to talk about the divide of pride. And before we do, I just want to pray. So if you just bow your heads, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your presence. Lord, there's no place we can go that you're not there, but oftentimes we, we don't make our first look to you and uh, father we want we want our eyes fixed on you our our hearts fixed on you our our hope fixed in you and you said those that put their hope in you will not be disappointed so today father we look to you we listen for you father i thank you that you have a word you have something for every person here and that that you have for them will empower them will bring healing and liberty to them. Father, we just thank you for your word as it goes forth, that, Father, it won't return void, but it'll, it'll accomplish what you intend it to accomplish and prosper in the way it goes. And so, Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to stand and, and, and address your, your people, the bride of Christ, and bring your word of life, uh, that, Father, our lives would be transformed. And as that happens, we'll be very careful to give you all the praise and the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So we, we've been talking about unity, but today we're going to look at a little bit at pride. Uh, I just want to give you uh, a definition of pride. It's an inordinate self-esteem, an unreasonable uh, conceit of one's own superiority and talents, beauty, wealth, accomplishments, rank, elevation in office which manifests itself in lofty airs, uh, distance, uh, reserve, and often contempt for others and looking down on others. And we see, we see pride in our, our, our world so often. And the Bible tells us about three things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life in 1 John chapter 2, and how we have to really guard ourselves from these things. And we've been learning that the way to do that is to walk in love. And in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, in the New Living Translation, it says above all these things, uh, clothe yourself with love, um, which binds us together in perfect harmony. To have the unity, the harmony that God has, we have to walk in love. But what does that love look like? We've been, we've been looking at what this love is expressed by and experienced by 
uh, in, and that's in, in the preceding verses in verse 12 and 13. Uh, it tells us this. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Now, who is that talking to? Yeah, us, us, uh, followers of Jesus Christ. It's talking about us being chosen by God. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I, growing up, I, I enjoyed the time we had at recess, but I also got concerned about it. Because when we would go out, and I remember at, at Joy School, which is Turn Road School or, or um, was Turn Road School, when we would go out to recess, I was, I was apprehensive and I was stressed because I knew I was going to be picked last, which usually happened. And, and it's always an embarrassment when you're picked last. But I want you to know, God chose you. He didn't pick you last. He picked you. He chose you. You're important to him. He loves you. He values you. And as the chosen of God, holy and loved, it says this, clothe yourself. There's a clothing that God has for us to wear. And it is what gives us the ability to walk in this world and not be overcome, but overcome. It says, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. All of those characteristics that we see so much in our society today. Oh, no. All those characteristics that we see so clearly in church all the time. In our lives all the time. I know when I read this, I, I think compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The times that I'm probably most like this is when I'm sleeping. <laughs> and I'm definitely not like that when I'm driving. But this is, this is something that I have to make a determination. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow in. I'm going to walk in. I am going to be intentional. When situations happen that I refer back to this, am I being compassionate? Am I being kind? Am I being humble? Am I being gentle? Am I being patient? Because this is what God has for me to be. As his child, as his representative, this is what I'm supposed to be clothed in all the time in every situation and encounter that I have. And yet it's not automatic. Maybe it's automatic for you, but it's not automatic for me. And, and I have to, to grow in this. It goes on to say, bear with each other and forgive one another. If you have any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So this is, this is the context that we've been learning about these characteristics that if we're going to walk in love, which is going to bring unity, and that unity is going to cause us to connect with God and connect with other people and the world's going to know and believe that God sent Jesus, which is why we're still here, right? We're here to be witnesses. Is that right? Not obnoxious, not weird, but we're supposed to be revealing the God of love to people who are looking for love. Is that accurate? And so this is, this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is how we're supposed to be doing it. We're supposed to love. And when we love, we're compassionate, we're kind, we're humble, we're gentle, we're patient, we're forgiving. And yet that's not what we naturally are. But, but we can be because the Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. This 
that this love that produces compassion and kindness, this love that produces humility and gentleness, this love that produces patience is available to us all the time, whether we access it or whether we don't. And so the, the challenge is, am I going to access, am I going to allow God, and who is love, to have his love fill my life and be expressed through my life to all those around me that are loving to me, right? And, and not the other people that aren't so nice to me. No, we're supposed to express this love to everyone. And the ones that need it the most are going to be the worst to you. Hello? And they're the ones that we're least likely to want to give it to. And yet they need it the most. And so we're looking at this, but we, we've realized that <clears throat> this love is something that, that as it manifests, there are, are characteristics because we are supposed to embody these characteristics. Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It should be said of you and me, if they've seen you, if they've seen me, they see Jesus. Because the Bible says Christ in us is the hope of glory. And in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 1 and 2, it says this about uh, being God's people, uh, the elect. Lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Now, who, who's been called by God? Pastor Gabe, right? Pastor Gabe's been called by God. Every one of us has been called by God. We're, we're the chosen. We're the elect. We're called by God. And it says, always be humble and gentle. There it is again. Be patient with each other. And look at this. Making allowances for each other's what? Faults because of your love. The only way we can make allowances for other people's faults is because we love. You know, God's made allowances for our faults. God, God shows mercy to us. And, and the mercy we've been shown, we need to show one another. But when somebody's faults come in contact with our lives, it's an irritant, right? Or it injures us. And we found out love covers a multitude of sin. A couple of weeks ago, last couple of weeks, we've talked about this. And so that, that injury, that irritation, we need to cover with love. And when we see other people's faults, we need to be not looking at the faults, but being aware that's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for me. It's an opportunity for you to love them in spite of who they are and what they've done. Now, I know most of you are perfect. <laughs> Obviously, I'm, I'm joking. But many times we want to be really hard line with other people and very gentle with us. And God wants us to do it the opposite way. Be more hard line with you. Hold the line in your life. Hold yourself accountable. And be very merciful and gentle and patient and kind with other people. And the only way we do that is through this love that, that, that God provides for us. And whether we're going to access it or not. But when we do, we look beyond what people do to who they are. How many of you know you aren't what you do? You may not know that because in the world we're trained, you're only as good as what you do. Your value, your worth, my value, my worth is 
directly connected and tied to how I do. If I don't do well, then I'm not valuable. Is that not what we're told, we're, we're, we're taught in the world? If somebody doesn't produce, they're put aside. And yet God doesn't rate our value on what we do. It's in spite of what we do. Our flaws, God looked at us and loved us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were enemies of the cross. And if God will love us that way, we need to love other people looking through their faults, beyond their faults, and loving them in spite of their faults because we, at least here in the world, the, the world tells us hurting people hurt people. And so there's something that needs to be brought to them that can help them get through the hurt and the healing so that they can change. And, and we are supposed to love them in the midst of their hurt, the hurt they bring and, and the disappointment and the frustration, just as God has done to us. But it's because of our love. In Philippians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 2, it tells us this. Love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Again, this is all about love. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Now, right here we see that it tells us to love, but it, then it shows us characteristics that we see all around us in the world. And even in Christians' lives, even in our own lives, where it says, don't push your way to the front, don't sweet talk your way to the top. Uh, this, this is so evident in my life, most times at the grocery store. Because I don't want to wait in line. And, and I don't want to wait in line because I've got things to do. Like nobody else does. My life is full. I'm busy. I don't have time to stand in these lines. But what is that? Arrogance, pride. It's me thinking my life is more important than somebody else's, and yet I'm supposed to live in a way that Jesus lived who gave his life for others, valued other people's lives more than his own and was willing to give up his life to benefit somebody else's life. And if I call myself a Christian, a Christ follower, and I'm standing in line thinking, why are you all in my line? <laughs> then I'm, I really following Christ. No, I'm not. I'm living according to me being king, me being more important than anybody else. That's one of the challenges why I get upset with people on my roads. <laughs> what are you all doing in my way? Why are you not moving for me? Now, we can all laugh at me, but we're all the same way. And, and that's where... This pride is, is just in us and we're not aware of it. One thing about pride, uh, pride is, is something that we so easily see in other people and we're so blind to in ourselves. I mean, we, we, we can spot it a mile away. Look, 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 look at the way they're walking. They think they're all that. And all of a sudden, we don't even see the pride in us that's looking down on them that's operating in our own lives 
And it's just the same stuff, and it stinks just as bad. You know, the bad breath on somebody else doesn't stink worse than your bad breath. And that's what pride's life. It, it, it's, it's like bad breath. You can smell it on other people, but you don't smell it on yourself. And it, and it blinds us and it deceives us, and we'll see this today. But, but this is so good because it says don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. And yet we have a tendency to do this. We try to maneuver ourselves in situations where we'll have the advantage instead of putting somebody else ahead of us. You know, making a place for them, giving them the advantage. That's just counterintuitive to us as human beings, isn't it? I guess not. I'm the only one here that struggles with that. Uh, it, it says put yourself aside. Ooh. If, if I put myself aside and put other people ahead, well, obviously I'm going to start getting taken advantage of. Isn't that the fear we all have? It, it, it's unspoken, but it's there. That if, if I put other people first, then they're going to gain and I'm going to lose. But I want you to understand, we're talking not about the way the world works. We're talking about the way the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God is different than the world. And when I put other people ahead, guess who makes sure I don't lose? God. And if God's going to make sure I don't lose, guess what? There's nobody that can make me lose. Except me. If I don't do it the way God has. It goes on to say, don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. I, I like this translation because it's so real to our everyday lives. So many people are so obsessed with making sure they get ahead. At any cost. But in the world... My gain, if I'm just living the world's way, my gain is going to be your loss. I'm going to use you for what I need. And that's totally opposite of the kingdom. Totally opposite of the way we're supposed to be living each and every day. We're supposed to put other people ahead. We're supposed to esteem others as better than ourselves. We're supposed to lay down our lives, not only for God, but for one another. And yet if we don't intentionally make the shift from world to the kingdom of God, we're going to keep operating in the world's principles, trying to get ahead in the kingdom of God, which won't work in either the world or the kingdom. It says, forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. We, we know what the Bible says about sowing and reaping. As you sow, so will you right. And, and so that's where, if we're putting ourselves ahead, that's selfishness. We're going to run into selfishness in other people's lives. And, and the truth is we're going to run into selfishness in, in all sorts of situations. But when we put God's principles into uh, the midst of our lives, if we incorporate them, then we know that no matter what comes at us, the one who is in us and with us is going to bring us through into what he's prepared. And what he's prepared is good. It's better than we could get on our own. And, and so that's where we, we need to make that shift, make that break with what we've learned in the world to begin to live according to kingdom principles. And these are the kingdom principles. 
But that's where if we don't live according to the kingdom principles, we're going to live with the principles of the world. And the world's principles are selfishness and pride. Very much self-focused. And so we need to forget ourselves long enough to help others get ahead. Because when we help others get ahead, who watched? God. And God will make sure you reap what you just sowed. Now, you may not reap it in the next 10 minutes. But you may not need it in the next 10 minutes. You may need it in a week, and God will bring it to you. But we, we, we have to be able to be trusting and, and abiding by God's principles so that we know that there's something good coming. God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. When we put his purposes, his plans, his principles into life, it's going to work together for good. It's not going to feel good all the time. It's not going to look good all the time. It's not going to sound good all the time. But it eventually will work out for good because we're trusting God and God won't fail you. Amen? But if we're not trusting God, we're going to rely on the principles of the world. And, and truly, the principles of the world don't work. And that's where we should, we should divorce ourselves from that and align ourselves with God. But when I say that, I don't think we realize that. I don't always realize that because I sometimes choose those same principles and follow those out. But uh, pride, the first evidence of pride or example of pride in the Bible was Lucifer. And, and you can look this up in Isaiah 14 verse, well, Isaiah 14 tells us about it, but it's where Lucifer had determined that he was going to exalt his throne above the most high. He looked at himself. He saw all the magnificent uh, instruments that were in him. You know, this is an amazing thing. When you read your Bible, it's, it's, it's wilder than the wildest science fiction movie you could ever watch. But it's real. And so he, he was the one that led praise and worship. And he had all these instruments in him. And, and one day he, he began to look at himself. Selfie. Right? And he began to get off, off track. Put yourself aside long enough to let a lend a helping hand to help someone get ahead. But he looked at himself and he said, you know what, I'm pretty magnificent. And he's looking at God who made him and not recognizing how magnificent God is, how awesome God is. And this elevation of self, he begins to operate in pride and then he, you know, it's the first sin and God casts him down to the earth. But that sin of pride has been more contagious than anything else we have ever been exposed to. Pride is something that, that is so easily transferred from one person to another person to another person. And yet, when we're infected, it brings death because that pride is sin. And we have to be very aware of that because we would never choose death. And yet, in the deception that pride brings, our choices are aligned and we're, we're inviting loss and death. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, in the CEV, it says this, pride is the first step towards destruction. It's the ERV, I'm sorry. 
proud thoughts will lead you to defeat. Now, I know this is a dumb question, but is anybody here looking for destruction and defeat? Of course not. None of us would. And yet, every time we allow pride to be our guide, I'm sorry, can we go back, John? I didn't see, have that second translation of the previous uh, verse. In the ERV, Philippians 2, 2 through 4 says, Show your love for each other. Be united in your goals and in the way you think. Whatever you do, don't let selfishness or pride be what? Your guide. Don't let it be your guide. And yet it's so easy to allow ourselves to be guided by pride. It says, be humble and honor others more than yourself. Be humble and honor others more than yourself. That is not naturally what we want to do, but it is naturally what we do when God supernaturally floods us with his love. We begin to look around and see the value in every person around us, no matter what they're acting like, no matter what they look like, no matter what level of life they're at, we recognize each and every one of these people. Just take a second and look around at the folks around you. I want to tell you something about these people around you. God loves them. Do you agree with that? All right. And, and Jesus died for them. That should, that should immediately indicate the value that these people have. They hold infinite value. But it's not just about the people that are here. It's about every person you see, you pass, you think about. And if that's the case, then we should, by the supernatural endowment of love in our lives, we should be esteeming others as better than ourselves. We should be valuing them. We should be, be honoring them more than ourselves. And, and again, we struggle with this tension that happens in our lives. If I honor you, if I honor you, if I honor you, if I honor you, where's my honor? I want you to know, you may never get honor from other people. But don't look for other people to give you honor. Because there's somebody that's going to give honor to you that is far more important than all the other people put together in your life. And that's God. I know, I know it's hard. I know it's hard when you're, you're serving other people and you're caring for other people and you're sacrificing for other people and you don't get acknowledged for it. But listen, that's in this life. Understand that your labor of love, the Bible says your labor of love, God will never forget. And there's gonna be one day that we're all gonna stand before the Lord and it's going to be an amazing time. And God, God Almighty is going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Going to honor you in that moment. And that's going to mean more than all the honor that everyone in the world could give you during this life. Don't live for this life. Live eternally focused and eternally minded. And doing that, you know that God is going to reward you. It may not be here, but it will be. 
It'll help us not fall prey to pride, not fall prey to fear. If I, if I give everybody else, where's mine? We know God's going to take care of us. Jesus said, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Every time we honor somebody, every time we value somebody, God counts that as something done to him. Because every one of those people, whether saved or unsaved, they're made in the image of who? God. And if we can get that in the forefront of our thinking and in our acting, this person is made in the image of God. This person is loved by God. This person is the one that Jesus died for. Do you think that's going to change how we interact with one another? I would expect it would. I know it will, it will in my life as I continue to do this. But going back to Proverbs 16, 18, pride is the first step towards destruction. We don't want to be on that road. But when we get on that road, we don't even know when we're on the road. Somebody else has to help us recognize that because Obadiah, and that's one of those books that you're always in all the time, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, Obadiah says that the pride of your heart has what? Oof. We, we talked about deception. A while back we talked about how in these days that we're living in, the Bible tells us specifically one of the indicators is many will be deceived. In the New Testament, in a, a variety of places, it says, don't let anyone deceive you. Now, God's smart enough to know that he wouldn't waste time speaking about something if it wasn't going to happen. And it's happening all the time. I mean, there are so many people so deceived, and I am one of them. And so are you. It's just we're not sure what areas we're deceived in. And the only thing we can do is we can counteract deception by holding on to what? Truth. Truth. That's what helps us not be deceived. But this says you're, the pride of your heart has deceived you. And we, we found out, and I hope you remember, where there's deception there is loss. There's loss. There are things being robbed from our lives when we're deceived and yet pride causes us to be deceived and we don't even realize it. That's how deceived we are. We need somebody else to be able to step in and say, hey, what, what, what are you doing? You're supposed to love that person and you're being deceived because you think that that person deserves what you just gave them. Instead of loving them and being kind and gentle and patient, and compassionate, we gave something else. And many times we give the things that we shouldn't give because of pride. We get angry. And why do we get angry? Because we don't feel that it was justified what happened to us. It's not about you. It's about them. When somebody does something, please, 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 if you hear nothing else today, hear this. When somebody does something to you, and, and I am learning this, I have tried to learn this for years, the thing that you and I tend to do is take it personally. We think, oh, man, you just hurt me. You must not think I'm that valuable. I'm that important. 
I deserve any honor. But understand this, it's not about you. Please recognize, this doesn't so much speak about you, how they treat you. It speaks about them and, and what their deficiency is, what their struggle is. And if we can push that back far enough to cover it with love, love covers a multitude of sin, just like the oyster does, that irritation or that injury, makes it something beautiful. All of a sudden, we start building a bridge instead of a wall. And I'm telling you right now that there are so many walls that are so easily and quickly built that bring such a division that weakens the church, that weakens families, that weakens marriages, that weakens friendships. And it's because we are taking things personally. It's all about us. Our focus is on us when it needs to be on God and others. But this deception comes. It deceives our hearts. Then the last... Uh, Scripture on pride that I'm going to share with you today is, is Proverbs 21, 24, where it says this, proud people think they're better than others. And that's why I get mad when somebody cuts me off or somebody gets in my line or somebody, because I think I don't deserve that. I, I, I think I'm better than them. I, I deserve first place in line. I deserve everybody parting just like the Red Sea on the roads. You understand what I'm saying? I'm telling you this because this is what we all struggle with. This is not unique to me. It's, it's, it's a malady in all of us because it's connected with our humanity. But as a child of God, you're not just mere human beings anymore. You aren't just people. God lives in us. God dwells in us. God, God imparts and empowers to us every day, everything we need. The Bible says that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's all ours. But the question is, am I going to access it? Am I going to receive it? Am I going to be humble enough to recognize my need of God's provision in my life? And allow him to be God in my life and me not to be the God of my life. And begin to walk in ways that I've never walked in before. And when, when we walk in the ways of God or in the ways of love, when we're compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient, when we interact with people and they don't get what they normally get on a regular basis. They get love. They get people that are compassionate or kind, that, that are humble and gentle and patient. Do you know what that does? That rocks their world, whether they show you that or not. Debbie and I were, were eating dinner. We had dinner together, uh, just wanted to get away and just have some time alone and went to this little bitty place. I mean, it only had about 12 tables. And uh, we were talking to the waitress. 
And she was just telling us about how difficult this, this whole past year has been. And how she's trying to work, but is trying to do some other things. She works three jobs. And Debbie and I, she went away to get something for us. And Debbie and I looked at each other and we said, we got to do something for her. And we, Debbie and I have a tendency to want to check each other. And neither one of us wants to speak first because we don't want to speak less than what the other one wants to do. And, and so there's that little tension. And, and all of a sudden I said, what do you think we ought to do? Well, what do you think we ought to do? Well, I don't know. What do you think we ought to do? Well, I don't know. What do you think we ought to do? Now she's coming back to the table. And I said, we got to decide quick. Now our... our our meal was not that expensive. And, and I said, well, I've got a number. That was as far as I wanted to commit. And she said, well, I got a number too. I said, what's your number? No, what's your number? <laughs> and, and so I told her the number. And I was expecting, <gasps> and she was like, I got that too. And it was, it was extraordinary. Okay, but this was the number God put on our heart. And so we got done with the meal and we got our to-go boxes and, and we got the check and, and put the tip on the check and we, we, we called her over and we said, here's the check and here's your tips there, but there's something else that we have for you. She was like, you know when people have that strange look? We said, this is for you. And, and she grabbed it. And I closed her hand on it, and then she immediately pulled it back and looked at it. She went, why? And we told her, because you're important, you're valuable, not just to us, but to God. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know for a, you know, for, for a fact. I have nothing to base this on except what I know of human nature. That lady is still thinking about that. And God's able to use that because we were compassionate. We were kind. We were, we were generous. Oh, oh really? Um, if you're going out to eat and you don't leave at least a great tip, don't let them know you're a Christian. <laughs> it should be said of us as Christians that that. We appreciate people. We value people. And I understand we've been there. Debbie and I have been there where all we could do was do the tip and, and, and we wanted to do more. But listen, you'll never be able to do more until you do more. May, I know that was for somebody here this morning. But do it now. Do it now for the people that God loves and God is reaching. Maybe for people that already know God loves them and they just need to be affirmed in that. But I'm telling you, you and I are supposed to turn this world right side up. And the way we do it is we walk in this love and we walk in this humility and this compassion and this kindness and this gentleness and patience and forgiveness. But, you know, just because we did that one time doesn't mean we're going to do it all the time. And just because we're humble or we're kind and compassionate and caring and generous, it's a fight to be that all the time in a world that just keeps sucking and pulling. And yeah? 
And, and last week we talked about Moses. We saw how Moses, in, in Numbers chapter 12, Moses, it says, was the most humble of all men on the face of the earth. And, and he was attacked by his sister and his brother. And what he did was he fell on his face. He went to God because he wasn't going to hold a grudge. He was going to walk in, in, in compassion and kindness and forgiveness. And he immediately... When Miriam became leprous, he immediately prayed for her. He wasn't like, you know what, I'm going to give it some time. You guys were pretty bad to me. I'm just going to take a little time on this. No, immediately he began to pray for his sister, for healing. Cried out to God, oh God, heal her. But just because it says he was the most humble of all the people on the face of the earth doesn't mean he did it all the time. And today we're going to look at how quickly and how easily it is to turn to that place of pride, return to pride. In Numbers chapter 20, we're going to look at the first 11 verses of this chapter. And, and I want you to understand that this is not what happens in the... the uh, dynamic between the people of Israel, the congregation, and Moses and Aaron wasn't unique. I told you before, last week we looked at Miriam and Aaron and how they attacked Moses. But throughout the time of the people of Israel going from Egypt into the promised land, they were constantly complaining. They were coming after Moses and Aaron. They were, they were giving them a hard time, uh, murmuring. And, and so this was one of them. It says, the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zin in the month, the first month, and the people stayed at Kadesh. And Miriam had died there and was buried there. So Moses didn't have that challenge anymore. Okay. Now, there was no water for the congregation. So they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, if we had only died when our brethren died before the Lord. Now, we're not talking about a group of 12. They estimate that there were hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, the Jews, in the wilderness. And they're saying, we don't have water to Moses and Aaron. If somebody came, a big group, say this group, came to your house and said, we're hungry. Well, I'm sure you would, Karen. But, but came to your house and, and, and said, we're hungry. We don't have anything to eat. How come you haven't made something for us? Would you have a tendency to just kind of want to say, are you talking to me? And this is thousands of people that are saying to Moses and Aaron, we don't have water. What are you going to do about it? I'd be looking around like, who are you talking to? I, I, you don't have water? I don't have water. We all don't have water. Why are you giving me a hard time? It goes on to say in, in, in this, it says, why have you brought us up? Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die? Putting it all on them. And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Is it not a place, it is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. Now, they're saying that Moses and Aaron brought them out of Egypt. Who brought them out of Egypt? Absolutely. Who was the one that had fed them? God. 
And now they're giving Moses and Aaron a hard time. And sometimes people will complain to you about something you didn't do and you and I should still walk in love. Not react. In verse 6 it goes on to say this. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. So what did they do? Everybody's come to them. Everybody's complaining to them about something they can't do anything about. And what do they do? They step back. You know, one of the best things you can do is step back away from all that contention and strife. But they don't just step back to regroup to reattack. They step back to step to God. Folks, your st first step, my first step, whenever anything's going on that is irritating or injuring us, it's a step to God. Don't just step away and cry. Step to God. And so they step to God. They step away and they go to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And what do they do? Fell on their faces. It shows humility. Moses is still operating the way he should. He's operating in humility. And he falls on his face before God. They fall on their faces before God and God meets them. Listen, the Bible says if you seek, you'll find. Sometimes we don't seek God until the last resort. He should be our first resort. He should be the first one we seek. Verse 7, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So he, God gives them a plan. I want you to know God has a plan for you. No matter what you find yourself in, God has a plan and a provision for you. But we have to be humble enough, not operate in pride where pride and selfishness are our guide and we're just up and running and doing what we can do. We're seeking God. We're humbling ourselves saying, God, I don't have the answer, but I know you do. And I'm, I'm looking to you and I'm listening for you so that you'll direct my steps. Because if we direct our own steps, that's just a work of the flesh. And the Bible says if we sow to the flesh, we'll reap destruction. So he tells them, and then it goes on in verse 9 to say this. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he was commanded. So humble, obedient, following God. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels! You know, he, he's now walking out to them. And I, as a human being, when you're walking back to bless somebody that has been so ugly to you, isn't there a tendency to just have stuff rise up in you and just want to blast them? You're in church. Yeah. And, and so all of a sudden, the humility, the most humble man on the face of the earth, allows the temptation of pride to not only tempt him, but influence him. 
And he says, here now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly in the congregation, and their animals drank. So, was Moses obedient? No. He was absolutely disobedient. What do you call all the people? Rebels. What's a rebel? Somebody that doesn't do what they're told to do. Is that correct? What did God tell Moses to do? Speak to the rock. Now, I want you to know, back in chapter 17 of Numbers, there was a time that the people were complaining again about not having water. And God told him, go out to the rock and strike the rock. You know, many times when we're in pride, we just do what worked before. We don't rely on God. It's what happened with the children of Israel at Ai. Little place, no big deal, just had gone through a big fortified city, won that victory. They said, we don't have to take a whole lot of people. Didn't, didn't look to God, didn't listen for God, didn't inquire of God, went up and they were defeated. Because they did what they thought. They ought to do. Moses does what he wants to do. He strikes the rock. God told him, speak to the rock. He calls them rebels, and yet he's rebelling. Remember the deception of pride? Pride is something we don't see in ourselves. We become deceived. And, and he, he lifts up his hand. He strikes the rock twice. But God still provides for the people. Because God loves people. But Moses pays a heavy price for this. And, and we didn't go into this, and you can read it. I would encourage you to read this later today or this week. God says to Moses, you aren't going to lead the people into the promised land. Because of your rebellion." Because of your pride. Because you reacted to people. The Bible says be angry and sin not. Well, I thought anger was a sin. It's not a sin. Until it controls you. Until you and I take action on our anger, it is not a sin. Just like anything else. Until we take that first step down that path of what we're being tempted and pulled by, it's not sin. Jesus was tempted in all things and yet without sin. Temptation isn't the sin. The action on the temptation is the sin. That's where the breakover is. You may have all sorts of thoughts. Just don't take actions on them. Cast those thoughts down. Replace them with what God would have you think and how God would have you and me look. But, but right here... He reacts, he's angry, he reacts, and he says, you're rebels. Was he right? Absolutely he was right. But God didn't tell him to say that to them. There are sometimes you don't need to say the things you want to say. Every time we speak, everything we speak, we're supposed to speak the truth in love. When we speak, we're supposed to do it for the benefit of the person that we're speaking to, not to show them how smart we are, 
to put them in their place or anything like that. And so Moses does this. He yells at them, calls them rebels when he's rebelling because of pride. He strikes the rock instead of speaking to it. And God says, you're not going to go in. You're not going to lead the people in. And so he paid this huge price. I want you to understand, pride is sin. The wages of sin is death. But God being as loving as he is, there is a portion in the New Testament that shows us that Moses made it into the promised land. In Matthew and in Luke, but in Matthew chapter 17, Remember when Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration? He had Peter, James, and John with him. Some people say the reason why Jesus took Peter, James, and John is because he couldn't trust them back with everybody else. So he wanted to keep them close to keep his eyes on them. Uh, but Peter, James, and John were up there. Jesus was transfigured. They saw him in his glory. But they also saw Jesus speaking to two people. One was Elijah, the prophet. The other one was Moses. Moses made it in. I can't promise you that God's going to do the same thing for us in our pride. But God will work it all for good if we love him and are called according to his purpose. But we've got to be on guard. We've got to have other people looking into our lives and being able to speak into our lives to be able to help us to, to recognize something we are not likely to recognize the deception of pride. I need people speaking into my life. I have a number of people that speak into my life. I didn't invite everybody to speak into my life. But some people just decide to do it anyways. That's all right. <laughs> but there are people that I have determined I, I am going to really, really seek out to be able to help search me. And, and inspect me because I trust God in them. They help me to see where pride is operating in my life or, or any other work of the flesh because I don't want that. I want to die to the flesh so that I can live being led by the Spirit so that the people around me will experience the love of God because that's what they deserve. Oh, Really? Yeah, because that's what God is giving. And we need to be the ones doing that. We're going to look a little more at pride because it is, it is insidious and it is extensive in the lives of the people of the world and even in the lives of us as Christians. Amen? Like every head bowed, every eye closed. I, I want to invite you today, if you've never turned to and trusted in the Lord, to make that... A choice today because as much as we think we can't count on anybody else or we can do it all ourselves, we can't. That's pride. God is there and God cares. God has shown us how much he cares and how much he loves. He gave his only son who came to the, the world that was broken and a people that were broken and breaking each other all the time. And, and died to pay the price for our sins so that we could be reconnected, reunited with God, reconnected in the body of Christ 
and receive what God has for us to live in this world victoriously. Not without opposition or obstacles, but in the midst of all of them, overcoming. If you're here today and you've never trusted the Lord, and today you say, you know what? I, I don't want to keep doing this on my own. And humbly recognize I need help. I want you to pray this prayer with me today. If that's you, just acknowledge it right now. Slip your hand up and say, that's me. I, I, I know. Let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who lived a sinless life and died on the cross for my sins, was raised glorious and victorious. Today, Lord Jesus, I recognize your lordship. I repent of my sin. I receive your forgiveness. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Thank you, Lord, for saving me today. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. If you pray that prayer for the first time, let somebody know before you leave. You may say, well, I don't know anybody here, so why would I let them know? I want you to know, whether you know us or not, we now are connected forever. And we want to celebrate with you. We want to be able to pray for you. So just let somebody know. I know it may be a little awkward, but get out of your comfort zone. Would you stand? The Bible says in Psalm 139, the uh, psalmist asks, God, search me. Search my heart, O oh God. Show me any evil, anything that's hindering you from having your way. You know, we need, to, we need to broaden that. It shouldn't just be God. God is the first move to help us see what's going on in our lives that we aren't able to see, we're unaware of, or we're not honest about. But we need to broaden that to other people in our lives where we invite them and we trust them. And, and when we're trusted with that, to speak in somebody else's life, make sure what you're doing, you're doing in love. You're doing to help elevate and build up somebody. But listen, there has to be somebody in your life that can tell you no besides you. Or you're a very dangerous person. Because we can all become very dangerous very quickly. Because we live in this world. But God has for us to live a victorious, glorious life. And we do it with God and we do it with each other. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every one of your children. I thank you for your presence with them, your plan for them, your power that's unequaled, available to them, your provision that is never-ending. That, Father, as we go into this week, you're already ahead of us. You've prepared the way. You're our rear guard. You uphold us with your right hand of righteousness. And you cover us with your songs of deliverance and healing, of victory and blessing and love. And, Father, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you for your never-ending blessing that goes to your people and through your people to all the people around them that you love. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.